Hello, everyone. Welcome to your newest episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast. And in this episode, we are going to talk about 12 signs that you may have a wounded inner child and how to heal. Um, before we get into that, just a quick announcement. Uh, we're taking enrollment for Embodied Soul Awakening, which is our 14-week private online group coaching program in psychological and spiritual self-work with myself and Bernhard. We've also extended it this time by a couple weeks. It was originally 12 weeks. And this time it's actually going to be a special edition because we're going to have guest speakers join, like a professional relationship therapist, a shadow work coach, and an IFS therapist. So we're really going to have some special guests this time that will make it really interesting. And for those who are new to our podcast or our work, Basically, this course is a combination of both the psychological and spiritual work that Bernhard and I find most valuable on the path of awakening and realizing your deeper soul purpose. And so some of the things we're going to be getting into is the process of embodiment. We're going to talk about also the matrix control system, shadow work, occult forces, healing trauma. Um, how to work with triggers and projections, such an important piece when you're doing this yes. work. Um, and we also go into the occult and the esoteric, and we talk about entity interferences and psychic attacks. Um, another big aspect that we go into is the topic of this podcast, inner child work and IFS, which is internal family systems work, which is basically learning how to work with the different parts of you and relate to them in a way that you can bring more of yourself to the center. Um, and lastly, we're really going to go into relationship skills. We're going to talk about using relationships as a path of evolution, conscious relationship skills. And one big piece I almost forgot that I get into in the course is evolutionary astrology, karma, and past lives. So in this program, we basically get everyone's natal chart. We assign them certain readings to understand their own soul trajectory, the path that their soul was intending to go in this lifetime. And we use it in context with the psycho-spiritual self-work that we do for the rest of the program. So if you want to join us, you can visit the website where we have all of this info and you can apply. It's at www.thetimeoftransition.com. Again, that's www.thetimeoftransition.com. And uh, wherever you're watching this, we'll always put the link to the course in the show notes as well. Okay, so... Right. Let's get into it. And the way that we're going to basically structure this is we're going to talk about some signs that you may have a wounded inner child, how that kind of can play out in your life and relationships and how we can heal the inner child. And we're going to be combining from multiple teachers from um, John Bradshaw to other teachers and attachment theory. And we're also going to share our own personal stories with healing our inner child ourselves and how we've worked with this you know, within our own self-development and within our relationship. And so I'm just going to start with by proposing some questions um, to, to tell if you have a wounded inner child. So this is something you can reflect on either in yourself or with maybe people who are close to you as well. So are you or is someone close to you a people pleaser? Do you feel most comfortable in chaos and conflict? Do you struggle with feelings of not being good enough? Do you have trouble starting or finishing things? Are you a perfectionist? Do you continuously criticize yourself or hold this belief that something is fundamentally bad or wrong with you? 
Do you often maybe feel out of touch with your feelings, needs, and desires? Or maybe you even feel ashamed of expressing those emotions. Um, do you not really know who you are, what your values are, or do you have trust issues that show up in your relationships? Um, do you, are you a super achiever, but yet no matter what you do, nothing ever feels good enough? Do you frequently take things people say or do really personally? And do you have a fear of abandonment? So this is no, by no means an exhaustive list. And one you, more question. Do you have a hard time saying no? Do you have a hard time saying no? Yeah. And yeah. if you answered yes to any of these, you may actually have a wounded inner child. And I wouldn't be surprised if many people answered yes, because I think one thing that we see out in the world is a lot of children in adult suits. And it's such a big problem, especially in the spiritual community, in people who are like, call, quote unquote, calling themselves awake. And the reason that is, is because many people with a wounded inner child then decide to create a new but false spiritual identity to mask their pain. Mm -hmm. So the wounded inner child will create a fantasy to quote unquote save them in the form of their new idealized spiritual self. Yes. And then what happens is, is both the inner child and the false spiritual self end up cut off from the real I, i.e. the true self. And this is the basis of both a lot of spiritual materialism we see in this world and the basis of a lot of spiritual bypassing that goes on. So this is why Bernhard and I combine psychological and spiritual work because we've learned through our own experiences that a peak quote unquote awakening experience is not actually going to change your personality or your life. And so you need to do this groundwork in order to anchor higher energies, higher states of consciousness. And one of this is working with your inner child. Yes, I really want to emphasize the importance of the inner work, the psychological work, the inner child work, also shadow work, trauma works, especially somatically as the foundation, even before being able to dive deep into spiritual esoteric work. I see a lot of spiritual bypassing happening um, you know, people getting in all kinds of quote-unquote advanced esoteric teachings, even like Sri Aurobindo's Integral Yoga and whatnot, but they have no understanding of trauma, shadow work, inner child work. And then kind of like Laura said, substitute the inner wounded child, the wounded self with a spiritual identity. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's what we are creating is a false foundation, so to speak. So it's very key, especially in this day and age. I have to say there have been amazing advancements made uh, uh, in, in, in the psychotherapeutics um, space, so to speak, over the past, what, 20 years um, that really benefit and help, you know, um, the inner process way beyond just psychoanalysis and talk therapy and all of Freudian stuff, but that really helps to clear out what is necessary to clear out, to connect our true self, our true essence, and ultimately our connection to God and the divine. Yeah, that's the point, is that you're trying to contact your real I, your true essence, the true name of your soul, I guess you could call it. And that's such a better foundation than your traumatized self trying to look for a new spiritual identity to like save it. And I know that this is real because I've gone through it myself, by the way. So I'm not just criticizing things I see out there. I've done this myself. And actually it's become the basis of the work that we offer now in Embodied Soul Awakening is that we provide tools to bridge that gap so that you're not just creating these peak spiritual experiences that have no basis in your everyday life. 
So let's talk a little bit how the wounded inner child shows up in our lives, in mm -hmm. our relationships. Um, and first, I just want to start by saying that the wounded inner child is often um, surrounded by protectors in basic psychological terms. They would be called defense mechanisms. And so we may have parts of us that actually are protecting us even getting in touch with the pain of the inner child. So, you know, the inner child, when it's very wounded, is usually protected by both a manager part and a firefighter part in internal family systems terms. And the manager part works really hard to keep the feelings of the wounded inner child under wraps by staying busy, by controlling things, by quote unquote, becoming successful so that people never need to see our more vulnerable side. And the firefighter part will protect the wounded inner child by addictions and compulsive behavior to stuff down emo emotions, to do whatever it can to quote unquote, put out the fire of the wounded inner child. So if you have trouble getting in touch with the more vulnerable part of yourself, this is an example of a good way, uh, place to do IFS work because you may have protective mechanisms and defense mechanisms and parts which need to be addressed first before you can get to that tender part. I also want to add to that that, you know, while this sounds pretty clear and obvious on an intellectual level, even now these different parts and defense mechanisms, you have to understand that they are highly mechanical and very reactive. So most of the time, uh, you won't be even if you're not really observant and, and have more of an observer witness state. You don't even know when these parts interact with you because you automatically identify with them and mistake them as your true self. Yes, right. That's that's uh, that's the biggest hurdle, so to speak, to recognize these different parts and how they interact and separate them from the true self. So there needs to be again. We have talked about this before. The basic foundation of self work is self observation and understanding how these different parts interact within your own psyche. Yeah, and if you don't actually have a good kind of um, basis for some amount of what they would call self-energy, you know, in IFS, which is basically the curious, uncontaminated part of you that can witness, then this is the case when like working with a therapist or working in a group like ours is more effective because you have that mirroring taking place. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we're going to get into uh, some of the signs by John Bradshaw, who I can highly recommend for he's, I think he basically championed the word inner child and brought it to the mainstream and kind of took Alice Miller's work and like really brought it forward. And he talks about how the inner child contaminates our lives. So we're going to get into three things on this hour, and then we're going to move the rest to the second hour. And the three things we're going to cover is codependence, offender behaviors, which I'll describe in a moment, and narcissistic disorders and how this shows up. So I'm going to read first about codependence, and this is from his book, Homecoming. And he says, I define codependence as a disease characterized by a loss of identity. To be codependent is to be out of touch with one's feelings, needs, and desires. Children need security and healthy modeling of emotions in order to understand their own inner signals. They also need help in separating their thoughts from their feelings. When a family environment is filled with violence, whether emotional, physical, sexual, or chemical, the child must focus solely on the outside. Over time, he loses the ability to generate self-esteem from within. Without a healthy inner life, one is exiled and trying to find fulfillment on the outside. This is codependence and is a symptom of a wounded inner child. 
Codependent behavior indicates as a person's childhood needs were unmet and therefore he cannot know who he is. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, any thoughts about this? Well, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. By the way, I was thinking when you're asking all the, uh, just real quick, these questions you were asking about, uh, um, you know, are you, do you know someone you know is so and so on? All these questions, I could relate to most of them throughout my life, by mm-hmm. the way. So, this is very key to understand. We all. Just before we get into that as well, to understand we all have a wounded child somewhere inside of others because no parents were perfect. The absolute perfect parents do not exist, right? I want to just clear that out. And it doesn't mean to demonize your parents, you know, because they all, everybody did the best they could. But, you know, you know, everybody is kind of transferring their own trauma and projections onto next generations. Yeah, and he basically says that we all have an inner child because we've grown up in this system, which was a uh, product of this what he calls the dominator survival, mm-hmm. which used abusive rules like abusing children, you know, hitting children. It was a way of like breaking their spirit, which was thought to be good. Spanking. Those worked in the past, you know, and an, an aspect of the dominator society is that the parents have all the power, whether they're good or bad, basically. Another rule with it of it was emotional repression. So we've inherited these rules. And another rule, he says, was obedience without content. So he even uses the example of Nuremberg, where people claimed innocence because they were just following orders. So we we don't know what normal parenting is because we've all grown up with these kinds of yeah. parents. Unless, like, I mean, people who would maybe know what normal attachment parenting are too young to listen to this podcast. But it's happening now. So yeah. this is how we've all been you know, we've all been wounded in our in our own essence. And and I mean, you don't need even need to believe me to to see that. Just look at how many people are unhappy relationships, have narcissistic disorders in these in these times. It's very clear that there's a lot of wounded children running around and even getting to, into very high positions of power as well. Okay, so let's talk about codependency. Mm-hmm. So I wanna also say that, you know, the important thing about this is that the focus solely on the outside is the key. So, you know, an aspect of a healthy sense of self is that you are able to maintain good feelings about yourself regardless of whatever is happening on the outside, which can help you in every single relationship. So if you have a criticism about me and something that's going on in our house or whatever, you know, if I have a healthy sense of self, I can hold your feelings of even if they're not so great about me without collapsing. Like I have a strong eye at the center. Um, So how does it show up for you? Yeah, for I see I see codependency in my life in different ways. First of all, I first realized I was codependent. That's ten over ten years ago, almost eleven years ago. Uh, my last relationship, very intense breakup. Um, when I also went to therapy and then realized, so she helped me to understand that actually I have codependent issues. I didn't know that. I didn't even understand it. Mm. You know, I thought I was always my own individual, but you know, relates to childhood wounding with my mom and all of that. And it showed up in two ways. Uh, number one, like you mentioned as well, I almost need my environment, especially my partner, to be like emotionally regulated to, you know, um, because it would affect me. Mm. You know, like it really, other people's states of emotions and behaviors would affect my state of uh, emotion and inner life, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, So that's exactly. kind of like I needed to almost... Um, control the outside yeah because you right. need to meet the needs outside of you in order to feel safe basically. exactly and then the other one 
uh, inability to st stand up for my needs. I didn't even realize that I used to have that, but it was a, actually uh, a big aha moment that I had an inability to stand up for my needs. And I kind of covered almost spiritual bypassing, always just doing what the other person wants, you know, people pleasing. Mm -hmm. and yes, yes, yes. And neglecting my own needs. And I covered up as some sort of like Piscean <laughs> martyr, altruistic, you know what I mean? Oh, I don't matter. I just do everything for my partner. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. but then I neglected my own needs. I actually went off my path almost like completely just living for the other person yeah. to help her, you know, um, for, you know, stay stable or fulfill her needs and whatever. But it's an empty, it's an empty hole. It would never, it, the relation became extremely unbalanced. And at the same time, I realized later on that I created unconscious resentment because of my own unmet needs, which I actually didn't even voice. And like you just read, at some point, I wasn't even truly aware, what, what are my needs really? Yeah. Because going back to my childhood, those needs were not met by my uh, mother. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, like a simple way we can work with codependent behavior. I mean, there's a bunch of solutions we're going to give near the end of the podcast. It does, a huge part of it is actually feeling the pain of your inner child. Mm. But on a practical level, you know, like how I do it. So like I, similar to you and except in other instances, like when I say no, I feel guilty because I feel yes. like I need to take one. care of people around me. So what I do is when I say no and I make a boundary and then I feel guilty. Number one, I acknowledge what I'm feeling. I allow myself to feel it. And then I reparent that part of myself. And I talk to myself in the way that I would talk to a child who's going through the same thing. Because I know that the part of me that feels guilty is my wounded inner child. That's a very good point. That's how we reparent ourselves. And that's, you hit the nail on the head. The biggest issue in my life was to say no without feeling guilty. But you will feel guilty, and that's a part of you you need to maybe reparent as well. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, but I can trace it back where it starts, you know what I mean? When even our caretaker made us feel ashamed or guilty for not meeting their needs. Yes. Right? That's yes. what it comes down to, when it was never our responsibility to, to meet their needs. Exactly, exactly. As a, as a young child. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to go on to the next one. Um yeah. This is a this is actually a big one we see, I think mainly also in prisons as well. And he calls it offender behavior, and he says offender behavior is a major source of human destruction, is a result of childhood violence, violence, and the suffering of unresolved grief of that abuse. The once powerless wounded child becomes the offender adult. In order to understand this, we have to understand that many forms of child abuse actually set up the child to be an offender. This is especially true of physical abuse, sexual abuse, and severe emotional abuse. The psychiatrist Bruno Bettelheim coined a phrase for this process. He called it identifying with the offender. Sexual, physical, and emotional violence are so terrifying that the child cannot remain in his own self during the abuse. In order to survive the pain, the child loses a sense of identity and instead identifies with the offender. So this is basically the classic, like, the kid who is abused becomes abusive. The mm -hmm. You know, you, you basically identify with the person who abused you. And I see this more, you know, like, I definitely did experience what I would classify as severe emotional abuse. And when I get in my own traumatized state, like, there's a part of me 
that wants to act it out on whoever I think is hurting me. And I have to really acknowledge, you know, and actually stop that part of me and even reparent that part of me too. Like there's basically reparenting that needs to be done at every single age and for all of these behaviors. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, like, you know, if I feel like someone's doing me wrong and I feel intense anger, my work is to be able to hold and contain that anger to realize it's my inner child who's really pissed off and again talk to that part of me as i would a child who's very angry and this is this can get really bad i have to say meaning it can get like a lot of people actually who as, as i mentioned earlier who are in prison are engaging in this they're becoming even you know I hate to say it, but like pedophiles and people who sexually abuse are also known to often have experience and as children. The majority of them, exactly. Yeah. Have been sexually abused as well as children. It's true. But also like going beyond like more the severe cases of physical abuse, sexual abuse, and emotional battering. I can see it plays a lot more subtle or, you know, obvious ways. For example, you know, if one of your parents was very critical of you and putting you down, you know, in a certain response in your relationship, then all of a sudden you can turn this towards your partner and be highly criticizing him or her as well, yeah, you know, yeah. like the inner critic, the inner voice, the critic from the parent in order to, you know, hurt people, hurt people in order to deal with the pain you just project on somebody else, right? Yeah, that criticism is a very common projection. And whenever I meet someone who's like, including myself, by the way, who's highly critical of other people, I real like I wonder where they learned that from and why they're doing that because you know a lot of these more harmful personality traits that people have they often learned from someone as a survival mechanism. Um, yeah, can I add to, add to that? Mm -hmm. I can see it myself too. Just you know, in very more subtle ways, more more covert ways. For example, uh, I can sometimes get into like more like in the self pity pouting and just kind of like little passive aggressive vibe kind of like to get wanting to get some attention yeah you know which i can see i've also experienced in you know from one of my parents as well as well uh, specifically from my uh, mother so i can see how that's also learned mm. through her or the, you know i mean to kind of identify it's almost like it's a form of abuse actually yeah. Right? It's more covert abuse. And intense criticism can definitely veer into emotional abuse territory. You know, yes. if your parents are intensely critical to you as a child, I consider that to be emotional abuse. Because, I mean, he even, John Bradshaw doesn't hold back. He even talks about the wounds of the inner child being like a type of soul murder, he calls it on what it robs from us. And yeah. then he's basically saying how it robs us our true essence. Yeah. Okay, so the last one, and we're going to spend some time on this, and we're going to go into how to kind of work with this a little bit uh, deeper, is narcissistic disorders. This is a big one. So like, yes. if you're not sufficiently mirrored for who you are, not what you do, is really important point, as a child, you spend your whole life looking for that validation and you'll never find it either because nothing will ever be enough, you know, um, cause you won't, your inner child even won't believe it too. So, you know, and, he t and John Bradshaw talks about it. He says, every child needs to be loved unconditionally, at least in the beginning, without the mirroring eyes of a non-judgmental parent or caretaker, a child has no way of knowing who he is. 
Every one of us was a we before we became an I. We need a mirroring face to reflect all parts of ourselves. We needed to know that we mattered and we were taken seriously and that every part of us was lovable and acceptable. We also needed to know that our caretaker's love could be depended on. Mm. These were our healthy narcissistic needs. If we did not get them met, our sense of I am is damaged. And he says, a narcissistic deprived inner child contaminates the adult with an insatiable craving for love, attention, and affection. The child's demands will sabotage his adult relationships because no matter how much love is coming, it's never enough. The narcissistically deprived adult child cannot get his needs filled because they are actually a child's needs. And children need their parents all the time. They are needy by nature, not by choice. A child's needs are dependency needs, that is, needs that depend upon another to be filled. Only grieving this loss will provide healing. Until that is done, the insatiable need will ver- the insatiable child will voraciously seek the love and esteem he did not get in childhood. And then he lists, there's a few ways that the narcissistically deprived adult children take, uh, it has various faces basically. And he says, number one, they are disappointed in one relationship after another, another Uh, Number two, they're always looking for the perfect partner who will fulfill all their needs. Number three, they become addicts. And he says addictions are attempt to fill the hole in one psyche. We go into that later in the second hour. Number four, they misseek material things and money to give them a sense of worth. Mm -hmm. Number five, they become performers, actors, athletes, etc. because they need the continuous adulation and admiration of their audience. Number six, they will use their own children to meet their narcissistic needs. In their fantasy, their children will never leave them and will always love, respect, and admire them. And number seven, they try to get from their children the love and special admiration they could not get from their own parents. And that's that's how it repeats (laughs) the cycle. Yeah. And so like I know as someone who was raised by people who were at least one parent who was higher on the narcissistic spectrum, I guess you could say, you know, because it is a spectrum. There's a healthy sense of narcissism, healthy sense of I even, but when it gets to the point where you can't have empathy or relate to other people, that's when it usually becomes problematic. And so as long as, and this is the, this is the, bitter truth I've had to swallow about having a parent was like that is that there's parts of me that have become like that as a survival mechanism. So if you have a narcissistic parent, you know, even if you identify as the empath or the caretaker, uh, what I found through my own healing is there's an element of narcissism behind that. So we want to look at, you know, where we land on the narcissistic spectrum, like where we're still trying to get our needs met, our lack of mirroring met, from the outer world and just, you know, to pay attention to that and how it shows up in our lives. Yeah, exactly. So that's very important to understand because again, the, the word narcissism and my ex was a narcissist and narcissists everywhere, the word narcissism is being thrown around like candy, not understanding, like you said, there's, there's, there's a whole spectrum. And in this particular case, we're not talking about full-blown NPD narcissistic personality disorder, almost like a sociopathic level of narcissism. But what we talk about is narcissistic wounding. As Laura just said, that we've been narcissistically wounded, <clears throat> excuse me, because one or two of one or both of our caretakers or parents were very narcissistic, trying to get their needs met through us and didn't really met our needs. Because as John Bradshaw said, as young children, young infants, we are naturally narcissistic. We need all the attention. It's a normal phase. 
And if we're not given that, we have these needs are never met, then we still act out the immature narcissistic child in adulthood. Like Laura said, we are like little children in adult suit, you know, having temper tantrums because we're narcissistically wounded. And if you really look at the symptoms of narcissistic wounding, and especially in, in, in today's in social media culture and everything what's happening with people's entitlements and tantrums, all of that, I would say that the vast majority of people are narcissistically wounded and don't know that they are. Yeah. Right? That seems accurate. <laughs> so, um, so what is narcissistic wounding? So basically, when a child is trapped in a narcissistic relationship with a the parent, they can either internalize or externalize the traumatizing behavior of the parent. And like Laura said, we can actually take that on, take on these narcissistic traits ourselves later in adulthood. So here's some eight signs that how narcissistic can show up, you know. Uh, perfectionism, meaning that you never feel good enough, whatever you do. Uh, number two, the inability to make boundaries and stand up for your needs, being very confused about your needs or feeling ashamed for your needs. We mentioned that before, that also ties into codependency. In a, the in inability to make decisions because you do not trust yourself, nor do you trust life, because internally you think that you're quite a bad person or I don't deserve it. And then you may have certain entitlement that the, the world owes you something or, you know, uh, people owe you and all of that because from an inner child perspective and a wounded because your parent actually owes you something. Um, number four, highly sensitive to criticism and taking things personally very quickly, right? Um, happens a lot on social media. Um, you believe that everything is about you. Almost like this paranoia thing that, that people always think about you, talk about you, good or bad, all of that. Mm. Uh, number five, you feel entitled to be treated special and believe everyone owes you time and energy, right? We see this definitely in this urgency culture. Of, I can have to take social media as an example where people are very entitled when they message somebody and, and they get upset that they don't get the attention, you know, they think they deserve, they get, you know, have no, they have no self-awareness. It's all about them or it's all about you. So be very humble with that. You know, maybe you can see yourself in, in that in, in some ways. Number six, you, do, you tend to compare yourself to others easily in order to feel better or you diminish yourself and then try to criticize or gossip about the other person to make yourself feel better. That's a big sign of insecurity and also narcissistic wounding, you know, in order basically to talk shit about somebody else in order to make yourself feel better. Mm. Uh, and then number seven, you have a very strong inner critic, mostly the voice of your parent. Uh, and you then tend to... Um, be very critical of others. Oh, sorry, yeah, I did. Projecting your shame exactly. externally. Thank you. You tend to be very critical of others uh, and project your shame externally. Like Similar to what Laura just mentioned before. Like if you had a very critical parent, we could internalize the voice. The inner critic becomes our outer critic. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then lastly, number eight, um, you need other people's attention, acknowledgement, and praise to feel secure and better, like constantly. Uh, as Laura mentioned as well, you know, that's, again, we see this, uh, again, with uh, so social media, even artists, musicians, you know, all of that, actors, a lot of them pursue, like Laura just mentioned before, a career because they need that attention all the time to feed the insecurity of the inner child. A lot of highly successful people actually, you know, become very driven either because they weren't validated as a child, so then they want to kind of show their parent 
or their parent only validated them for what they did rather than who they are as well. So then that sets them up to be a hyper achiever because that's what they learned how to, you know, how they got love and admiration. highly successful people. What we actually see success in the quote unquote matrix meaning was most people think under success is is wealth and fame or one of the each money and fame. Yeah. Uh, most of them are highly traumatized narcissistic personalities. Exactly. And I think one important thing, you know, with healing the narcissistic wounding or injury is, um, you know, having empathy for other people, which is easier said than done for some very highly narcissistic people. So like, I think uh, kind of riffing on what you talked about, this kind of urgency culture where people send a message and if you don't get back right away, they like freak out at you and then they go into the spiral, you know, that happens all the time. And I have to say, I've had even had moments where my attachment wounds flared because I didn't get a reply from an email and I made up all these stories, you know? So being able to, number one, observe that you're doing that is a really big key and be like, whoa, I'm, you know, my own anxiety is getting activated or I feel like I'm getting into fight or flight because this person hasn't replied. And then challenge the story that you're coming to first. So if the story is like, this person hates me, or, you know, or something critical about them maybe sometimes comes out. We need to challenge these stories we make up. And we go into this in super in-depth in our course, you know, you need to be able to tell the difference between your feelings and your perceptions, your feelings, meaning the, you know, sadness, anger, pain, whatever you're hurt feeling, and the stories you make up about it. Because a lot of the stories we tell ourselves in our heads are simply not true And even if they are partially true, they're such a small part of the picture that they're inaccurate. So, you know, an aspect of a healed, you know, sense of self is having a sense of flexibility in your reasoning. So you can come to, you don't just come to one conclusion on why people do certain things and why that person doesn't reply to your text or email. And usually that conclusion is like, I'm worthless. I'm a bad person. If you really go deep down inside, but we're able to be like, oh, maybe they're busy. Maybe they just don't have time. Like we have flexibility in our thinking. So the moment we get into this really rigid thinking, you know, um, about certain situations in our lives is usually a sign that the inner child is, the wounded inner child is activated. And a huge aspect of it empathy like you know we're really even this medium that we're talking to you through is still a disembodied medium where sometimes we fail to acknowledge that there's another human being on the other side of the screen who has their own thoughts feelings emotions and lives and the more that we're disconnected from that relationship even though it's happening on a screen the less empathic we'll be. So, you know, I think it's really important we learn how to treat one another with some basic human decency and manners and empathy and get out of this like me, me, me mode that a lot of people enter, you know, the internet on. Yeah. That's why the healing really, especially reparenting, which is the parent, the inner child, a lot of feeling there's only so much we can do on our own. And a lot of the healing happens in relationship by relating. I'm not necessarily talking about intimate relation, but relating. You know, that's why I see, for example, I have also sometimes problems with like people's just text or emails, like the words on the screen can be easily misperceived or you project emotions in there, not there, or some people misperceive me because I can be very direct. But the moment you talk to a person in person, even just on Zoom, like we do um, on our group coaching program about its solo awakening, we have, we have weekly Zoom calls. 
there's so much, a lot of healing and magic happens in these moments because as empathy generated, you truly see another person, you hear the voice, you see the faces, you know, and how they act energetically comes through and activates a deep empathy. You can truly relate and see yourself in others. That's the true meaning of empathy, by the way. Yeah. And that's solely missing if we just keep texting or just, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, basically uh, voiceless or communication where there's no no relating really at all, yeah. right? And one thing I also mentioned, which is really important, you mentioned it before, the key point is really because we become so easily identified with the wounded inner child and then act it out. And the key point be, uh, is this curiosity. So instead of becoming reactive, be curious. Or instead of furious, and we mentioned that before, be curious. This curiosity, hmm, how come I'm acting this way? How come... Um, I'm getting so angry about this person. How come I feel guilty or shame? How come I have this emotion? You know what I mean? Like kind of curiosity, and I'm not implying to get into like an analysis paralysis, but what this inner child needs in terms of reparenting, you need to listen to it because it was never listened to. Yeah, we're used to stuffing it down exactly. or controlling it. Okay, so we're going to talk about how can you heal this part of you? Number one, it's kind of what we've been hinting at throughout the entire podcast when these wounds come up, to acknowledge the feeling and to reparent that side of you. So a huge part of it is number one, first allowing yourself to feel the pain because the wounded inner child tends to be all the time filled actually with unresolved energy from childhood. And so we have to feel that grief so that the energy that it's holding is present basically. If we're not allowed to grieve, the energy gets frozen in our body, which can show up as depression, just a bad mood, chronic illness, all sorts of issues. So grief to like, you know, a fundamental part of, I think, a lot of deeper psycho-emotional work is to see grief as an extremely healing feeling. So you will heal faster and more naturally if you allow yourself to grieve and another surface emotion, just to add on to that, is on top of the grief can sometimes and oftentimes actually be anger. Mm -hmm. So anger is often the first emotion that comes up before the grief of the inner child. So again, process the anger consciously. You know, Don't lash out at people. Allow yourself to feel it. Find a way that you can even reparent the anger. Talk to the anger as you would an angry child. Um, and so the inner child can be especially hard to access if you have several protectors. One of those protectors can actually be an angry part. So in this case, you know, IFS work may help along with inner child work because there can be several personalities around the protecting the inner child. Yeah, anger is also so for some information can cover like you cover up like you said grief, also sadness. Yeah. as well as um shame. Yeah, and especially if we were like emotionally, physically psychologically, whatever, any kind of abuse, that child is usually very angry and confused. You know, you want to understand that basically I found through doing my own inner child work that my inner child is frozen at certain key moments in my life that were difficult, you know, and that can look any way, in any way you want it to look, but it's almost like um, developmentally stuck at certain ages and I've had to actually go back and heal that part of me and bring it into the present, mm -hmm. which is also a big part of IFS work is the issue with a lot of the inner child is that it's stuck. 
at that moment that it felt most traumatized and it still thinks that you're there, which is why it tends to carry out in these repeating behaviors because it's stuck in the past. And there's a huge part of that inner child, which number one needs to be grieved, to witnessed, feel, felt safe, and then needs to be brought into the present. And I think this is the, really one of the most important pieces um, is developing um, an ideal parent figure. So having some sort of archetype or avatar in your mind, whoever represented imaginary or someone you knew, an ideal mother or father figure, whatever works best for you. Maybe you had pathological parents on both sides and you need both parents. Maybe you just had a mother, but you want to develop an ideal parent figure so that when you're in the middle of like a shame spiral or an inner critic attack, or you just feel awful, you know, take a moment to realize that there could be the voice of your parents internalized in your psyche attacking you and then replacing that voice with you know, a real figure who you felt seen by, a character, a movie, whatever. You just want them to be loving, attuned, and accept you for who you are unconditionally. And you want to learn how to talk to yourself in this way this ideal parent figure would. And you really want to, you know, the emotional work is really key so that you're just not making this into this weird mental disembodied process. So when you have the difficult emotion come up to nurture that part of you with this ideal parent figure. And I do this all the time, by the way. So this is not something you just do once and you're like, oh, I'm good. It's like you want to just retrain your brain to relate to yourself in the way that this ideal parent would to replace the inner parental figures that end up getting imprinted yeah. early on. By the way, this is one of the exercises we also do in, in, in our group coaching program with the whole group. Uh, and it's interesting, it's sometimes easier said than done for some people Yeah. <laughs> to imagine the ideal parent. This can be a challenge. And I think the challenge most is because actually shame can come up in order like, oh, I didn't deserve that kind of parent unconsciously. Yeah. And that's, that's an, like, you know, when that comes up in the group, I would say that that's an important feeling for them to be with because yeah. that's the state of the inner child. The inner child feels shame. Like, to the extent that we've been abused or wounded, that inner child can get into pretty rough shape. It can be pretty nasty. It can be pretty untrusting, you know? And similar to how if you were to adopt in a grown-up child who had been abused for most of his life as an adult, you may need to have to do a lot of reparenting in order to get that child to trust you again. And there's so many, it's not just that you do the inner child work and all of a sudden you feel amazing and more creative and more <laughs> loving. No, that inner child sometimes needs some work and it may need quite a few grieving processes. It, it takes time. I mean, it's, it's a spiral going deeper in and out and I'm still uncovering stuff right now. I'm at my age of 50. Yeah. But it becomes more refined and then you map it, you know, you connect with the spiritual work as a true self emerges. So it all goes, you know, the, the descent and descent at the same time. Uh, but I was going to mention, it also ties into other, the other work from John Bradshaw about um, uh, the work of, what was the book on shame? We made Healing had, the shame. That binds, binds you. you. We had a whole podcast around that as well. If you haven't listened to it, check it out um, a few podcasts ago about shame because we all have unconscious internalized shame. And this uh, in this instance, you know, the identity, a lot of people, identify with is that I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad girl. I am bad. You know, yeah, it's yeah. really that, it's, uh, that the whole identity is shame based. 
So that's why, oh, I don't deserve this. That's that's the really the foundation of a lot of self-sabotage, unconscious self-sabotage in all aspects of life, relationships, job, finances, and all of that, right? This inner diminishment. Yeah, you like, and you know, he gives a lot of different affirmations in this book. Um, and I guess kind of like edited them to 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 my own kind of point of view about this. But, you know, the affirmations are really key. And I have to say, when you first start saying these, like my inner child, actually, my inner teenager, rather, is like very cynical and skeptical <laughs> and like gets like, wasn't trusting at first. But that eventually I realized that speaking to myself in this way is so much better than speaking to myself in the voice of my parents, which is just basically downright abusive. So you want to get used to being saying things like your needs are okay. I will take care of you. It's okay to say no. It's okay to be angry, sad, to feel scared. It's okay to be you. You're not responsible for your family's problems, for other people's problems in general. It's okay to stand up for yourself. You can trust your judgment. You can trust your feelings, like whatever is appropriate. Even if the, for example, if the belief is I'm a bad person, you know, a very healing thing is be like, you're a good person and you did nothing wrong. You yeah, know, you yeah. want to look at how your inner child is showing up and the words it says and the beliefs it has and literally counter that as if you're talking to a yeah. small abused that, child. That has, helped, you. Sorry, that, that has helped me a lot because I just internalized, I'm a bad boy. I'm a, you know, I remember this inner child coming up and, you know, me beating myself up even more when I make a mistake, mm. right? And yeah. being highly perfectionist. So I had to really repair myself. No, you did nothing wrong. You're a good boy and everything is fine. Um, you're doing the best you can and all of that and taking this pressure off of myself. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really the foundation, you know, for psycho-spiritual self-work. Like you have to work on the basis of your human experience now and actually, I found the fruits or whatever you want to call the results of my meditation practice and even my own spiritual realizations are so much easier to be grounded in my human experience the more that I deal with this part of my life, basically. So, you know, instead of creating a new spiritual identity and just being like, I'm this new person and forget the old me, you know, Understand that there's a part, you know, there's an essential part of you, which is actually the part of you you're hoping to reclaim in psycho-spiritual self-work that is held in this inner child. That's this kind of like true I and that true self that we're trying to uncover. So in Beautiful. the second hour, we're going to just talk about more about how the inner child shows up in our lives and trust issues, acting out behaviors. Uh, magical beliefs, which we'll talk about, um, intimacy dysfunctions, uh, addictive behaviors, and thought distortions, and more. And we're going to also talk about self-esteem and why self-agency is a really important aspect of also healing the inner child. So if you got something out of this hour, we highly recommend you join our membership program to listen to the second hour. For that, you can go to www.veiloforeality.com and you'll see a link to the membership. It's also linked in the show notes usually. And yeah, thank you for listening and we will see you on the second hour. Beautiful. And again, if you want to join us for the next round of Embodied Soul Awakening, <clears throat> starting December 26th for 14 months, go to 
timeoftransition.com. Read about it. It's limited uh, to 35 people and by application only. And with that being said, see you all in the second hour. Bye.